you have a good 4th of July? Everyone still got their fingers? I saw, I, don't, I think one of the pastors sent in a group message we had, and it said, there's someone who doesn't know this week, but uh, they will finish the weekend with one less finger, and I'll just begin to laugh, and I was like, well, that might be someone in church Sunday, but I'm not quite the person to play with fireworks. I'm not too experimental, not too crazy, but I did enjoy a nice weekend on the lake. It was fun. I didn't get too sunburnt because I hid from the sun, but you know, you, you get what you can, you enjoy what you can, but today we're kicking off a new series this summer called the Summer Mixtape. It'll be a three-week series over praise and worship, so we're excited to jump into that, exiting out of How Did I End Up Here. Um, who enjoyed the How Did I End Up Here series? Amen. I know for me that was super encouraging, a lot of uh, stuff that's practical to apply to your life, but ultimately something that's going to take us to the next level, not only in our families, not only in our personal lives, but as a church together as we are truly living and pursuing better days. Amen? Well, for those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Jay, uh, my, my wife Lindsay, who was up here earlier. We are the student pastors here at Destiny Church. Um, I have the honor today of speaking to you on the topic of worship. It's something that is very near and dear to my heart. See, uh, a little backstory about myself. I haven't always been a youth pastor. Uh, being only 20 years old, I haven't had too much of a lifetime to have crazy experiences or different jobs, but uh, I've moved to Springfield as actual worship leader. Some Sundays you may see me singing or playing. But uh, see, that was like, worship was really kind of the thing that got me into ministry, and you know how God works. You have the plans to be a worship pastor, and the next thing you know, you're a youth pastor. But uh, so I started off at, in worship, and it was that really that thing in my life that um, kind of, it, it showed me that uh, God was real. And I think many times we have, we know, we know God's real, and we have that in our minds as Christians. We believe that. We have faith. But there, there, I think there comes a moment in each and every one of our lives where we experience God in a different way that there's no doubt in our mind that he is real, that he is true, that he loves us, that he cares for us. And that's what worship did to me. You see, in high school, I was, I was never a bad kid. I was a pastor's kid, always did the right thing, grew up in the South, and my parents were pretty strict on me, and I knew I, if I even thought about doing something wrong, they already knew it before I even thought it. So um, that's kind of how I lived growing up, but I constantly lived with the struggle of wanting to, I wanted to be like a doctor, I wanted to play baseball, I had all these other plans, but in the end, I know God had, he called me to be uh, ultimately a worshiper, and that's even before speaking, or that's before leading worship. And then I was just supposed to be a worshiper, and that was just from my day-to-day -day life. But I thought I had my own plans. And in the end, you know, I, I came to Springfield, Missouri from North Carolina out in the middle of nowhere, and I found myself in love not only with the church and, and leading worship and, and being in it, but I ultimately found myself in love with God because I knew ultimately over everything his plan for me was greater than even the plans I had for myself so today, I, I, I'm super honored to be able to speak about this topic because uh, uh, worship is something to me that I absolutely not only love because I love music, because I believe anytime you enter into a time of worship, anytime you enter into a church service, you never leave the same. And it may not be a great change, and you may not feel it that much, but anytime you're in his presence, you just can't help but leave differently. Amen. And I think for many of us today, I uh, may not understand quite what worship is. I, in, in the American church, the common theme is, and I, I even grew up watching my grandparents do it, and that is uh, you kind of you mosey into church. You're like, it's all right if I miss the worship set, I'll at least get in for the preaching because that's the good part. And sometimes the music's too loud, and, and we kind of miss what worship is exactly about. You know, when, when you come in at worship, uh, we kick off, so it's a time to be in God's presence, but it's immediately kicking off the spiritual battle that we enter into. And as we look in more in it today and kind of what worship is, but also the power behind 
our worship. We're going to look at it a little bit differently, not only from uh, learning that uh, worship is, uh, we worship, we know we're called to worship in spirit and truth. We know we're called to worship with our daily lives, but I think many times we underestimate the exact power that we have behind our praise, our worship, what's actually going on when we worship, what, what happens when we go on, when we choose to praise over than just accepting the outcome. And I think as you observe this weekend and observing this morning, I know many of us were coming off vacations. I've been at the lake all week. I know I'm tired. But that second song, I love it. It's called Living Hope. But that third verse that sings, Then came the morning that sealed the promise. The very body began to breathe. Then out of silence the roaring lion declared that death has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. And every time I listen to that, I just get chills I get goosebumps, I get shaken, I get excited. And you look around the room, and, and I think we live in an American church that doesn't, if you, if you sing those words and you believe those words, and I believe the response would be a lot different. This, to say that death has no claim on me, Jesus, yours is the victory. If we woke up every morning, if we walked into church this morning, believing Jesus, yours is the victory, I guarantee our worship experience, I guarantee not just singing that song, but every other song, but just specifically, that song's a lyric, declaring and living as Jesus, yours is the victory. I believe there are a lot different confidence. I believe our worship time would look a lot different. I believe we'd have a lot different perspective on the life we live. And today, as we look at worship, you know, I can't, I can't help to think um, about this 4th of July. It, if you look at 4th of July weekend, it really tells us as the American church where we're at as what we worship. Because worship is more than just this time on a Sunday morning in this building. It is a day-to-day life because this is kind of the American culture. Over summer, we're in the church in the fall because it's convenient in our schedule. And then once summer hit, it's family vacation on the lake every weekend because we just need a break. As if family health is going to come being outside of the church. We, we think just having a just taking your family outside of the church, having a break, being together, it may be good for a little while. It may bring lots of rest, but it's not, it's not going to, and it's not that church is the, the key to all the problems. It's not the key to everything, and, and it's gonna, just going to put your family back together. But it is a place of family. It's a, having your family in the presence of God. It's where they grow. It's where you learn. It's where you learn to love others. It's in that community of accountability. And I think we've kind of grown in this mindset of so much of uh, relationship, not religion, which is very much true, but that does not negate the fact that we don't need to be in church. That doesn't mean we need to be in congregational worship together. And it's funny, I know, like, worship, sometimes the music's too loud, but it's funny as one um, uh, theologian says that the congregational worship on a Sunday morning is the closest experience to heaven on earth you'll get. You're like, that's crazy. I thought that was Chick-fil-A. But no, <laughs> but no it's actually in here because you realize heaven is just endless, constant, just all together congregationally singing praises to God. And if that's too much and that's too uncomfortable, comfortable for here for you on earth got a secret for you but you got a long eternity coming for you if you don't like it down here because that's all it is in heaven so just to kind of paint that perspective of you what worship is and what we kind of experience but today I want to go more than just this time in this room worship is more than just a three song set it's more than just getting pumped for the praise song and then closing out in worship but it's a day-to-day lived out activity today we're going to look at a story in the Bible of Jehoshaphat, and, and, and it shows us what our lives look like when we choose praise and we choose worship, the power behind what we have in our lives today. Amen? Let's pray together. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here at Destiny Church, God. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, speak to our, our hearts, God. Allow us to grow, allow us to know you more, and more than anything today, God, we pray more than just, Lord, good worship, but God, or, or even a good word, God, we pray that your presence is here, God. God, because we need you more than anything. In your name, amen. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to go quite through a heavy bit of passage today, but it we'll move through it pretty fast, but there's so much in it that we can take away today in learning and and applying to our lives from from a man in the Bible who, I mean, many times you kind of overlook with the, the Moseses and uh, Joseph, who kind of the, the, the heroes of the faith, but you see here it, in, in his prayer and how he leads these people, it, it can really change a lot of the ways we lead our families and a lot of the ways we lead our own lives. So we're going to kick off in verse 1 in chapter 20. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom. From beyond the sea, and behold, there in Hazazan Tamer. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. You see here, at, at this moment, he's brought the news. Hey, you're surrounded three sides. You're going to get attacked and you're done. You know, at this point for many people leading army, men and military leaders, what do you think you do? Wise thing would do, build a military strategy. Make sure you have an army because as of right now, it's not looking too good for you. You're surrounded on every side. But you see, what, what Jehoshaphat does, he calls the nation of Judah to, a, to, to prayer and fasting. And you're like, man, this guy's crazy. What's not eating food and, and what's praying going to do to help you win this battle? Dude, you got to think more practical. And I think as many, as many of us kind of enter that mind, the moment we're brought trials, the moment the outcome doesn't quite look like it we expected, what do we find ourselves doing? Do we find ourselves going to prayer and fasting? Or do we find ourselves scurrying around trying to make sure we got everything covered just in case God doesn't come through? You see, Jehoshaphat here, and leading up to this passage, he's just already came out of a near-death experience. You see, you don't just immediately go to prayer and fasting if you're not already close to the Lord. You can't, it's a lot harder to just to have that trust in him if you don't have that relationship with him. See, Jehoshaphat knew what God had already done in previous generations. He already had that relationship with him. He walked in faith. So at the moment when trials came up, when it looked like, hey, your nation's about to be crushed, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew it was time to call a nation to prayer and fasting. And you see right here as a leader, he set the tone for him. He, he didn't just expect people to do something he wouldn't do. He's already a man who, had, who had, they had seen come through stuff. He had come through trials, through his prayer, through his fasting, through his trust, through his faith in God. And what does he do here? He calls a whole nation to it because he knows more than any strategy, more than building up an army, more than any weapons you can have, more than any force you can build. You can have the greatest plan in the world and you can try to sweep them and try to counter the attack because you know what they're doing. But he knew nothing would succeed without God going before them. Let's continue reading. We'll jump down to verse 5, and, and you see here, as he calls the people to pray, this is, uh, this is his prayer right here. And, and as we'll talk through it, but it's, as I read this or and studied it, it's probably it's just so profound in how it lays out for us uh, what it looks like to truly pray, but also a posture of the heart 
that is truly desperate and reliant on God. You see, and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword of judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of uh, Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession." which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And then pay attention to this. It says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, that moment as a leader and praying in front of a whole nation, he openly admits, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know, if I was a guy standing in the army knowing that, oh, we're doomed, and, and the guy I'm looking to for guidance, I'm looking for his leadership, I'm looking for his direction, the first thing he says, well, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I, I'm thinking, man, this guy's quite crazy. We're definitely done. The one guy that we need to have faith, not getting it, but you see, what is, it's not, he's not just saying I don't know what to do just out of cluelessness, but he's, he's humbling himself before God, understanding that with, it's just showing a complete trust in God. Like, we don't know what to do. He has no other options. He has no strategy. He's just completely surrounded. But he know, what he does know is that his eyes are on Christ. He, he, he knows that, that God's going to take them through this. And, and you see here, in his prayer, what does he do first? He says, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? He, first of all, he addresses who God is. He declares, God, you, you reign in heaven. You are powerful. There is no one like you. He gives praise. See, he's given praise before the battle's even started. In times when we're crunched, what do we find ourselves doing? I think many of us, we find ourselves kind of cowering into the uh, you know, typical, like, oh, no, well, I I'm just a realist. I hope, I hope that comes all right. You know, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what, I mean, just I, I call it like I see it. You know, I tend to be that kind of person, you know, like I, I kind of call it like I see it. There, there's no reason to look. But you see what Jehoshaphat's doing, he's already praising. He's already believing that the victory's coming. He's already saying, God, you're good. And I, I don't know what the outcome is, but God, you're still good. God, you're still powerful. And then he begins to recount of all he's done, all of his promises. Just like you have led previous generations, just as what you have allowed us to do, surely you'll take us through that because he's confident in the God that he serves. And you know, many of us, we go through life and we go to the mindset, well, there's the outcome. There's no way this is going to turn around, you know. Well, I'm a realist, and um, I'm not, I tend to be kind of a pessimist, but I had to check myself because I'm not a pessimist in the end. I'm just a jerk. <laughs> no one wants to hear the dude that's always like, oh, well, I don't, eh, best comes the best. You maybe could get this, or, oh, that's rough. Well, best case scenario, well, there is no best case scenario, buddy. But you see, Jehoshaphat, he, he had faith. He, he had an ultimate trust in God because in the moment where even he had nothing to do, what does he do? He first seeks his face. He still believes, God, you're good. 
Even when it, it doesn't look so good, he still believes God is good. And I think for many of us in this room today, we, we come in and we, we I don't really have a reason to praise. I don't really have a reason to worship. Man, this week has been awful. You know, the doctor's report didn't come back so great. You know, uh, finances aren't looking too good. You know, I'm really trying to believe for better days, but it, it's really hard. Uh, the, the fact that we're in this room this morning breathing is enough of God's goodness for us to praise and shout and go crazy in this place. Because somehow in, in our mindsets and human and in our flesh, we, we built up this idea that we, we deserve more than that. We live in a fallen world, and humans, believe it or not, we're not uh, uh, naturally good. We don't have good tendencies. Many times, if given the choice, our hearts will always choose to do evil rather than good. The only thing that keeps us doing good is the God that is in us and our choice to follow him. And you see here in this passage, and when we choose to praise, not because God is, we praise because God is good, not because the situation around us is good. We choose to follow him every day, and when we come in to worship on Sunday mornings, what do we do, and why, does it, why do we praise him, and why do we do this? And, and why, we, why? Because God's still on the throne. He didn't have to do good for you this week. You didn't have to receive a blessing for him to deserve your praise. God was here before us, and he'll be here forever. He's eternal. He doesn't need our worship to be any more God or any less God. For some reason, we come in here, and we think that, well, if I worship today, Maybe I'll get that blessing this week. You know what? I'm going to give it all I got during worship today. I'll take a lap. I'll even shout. I'll like clap my hands. I'll, I'll be so engaged. And then maybe I'll receive what God, but that's not how it works. God is good. And he's good all the time regardless. So it's not a matter of us responding, well, well we, we don't worship based off, we worship just because God is good. And Hosphat paints that perfectly for us. Because he's praising in the midst of troubled times before anything. He hasn't even been given a promise yet of that they're going to make it through it. Because all he knows, he's just done. But he still believes that God is good. Let's keep reading here because this, this next part, this is where it really gets good. So after his prayer, he's saying, Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. So this is a, um, he used a prophetic word here, and he says, and he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and the king of Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. You see what he says here? He says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. I think many of us today, we find ourselves in, in two different categories of people. And that's one category who's running around trying to make things happen, waiting, trying to make things happen for God. And then we have a second group of us who's sitting back just saying, God, just waiting here for God. I don't know. Life's just awful, but, you know, this lazy boy's comfy and God will be here sooner or later. But what, what, is, what is he telling? He just says, stand firm. 
And not to take this as God's telling you because he told that in the Old Testament to tell you to stand firm. Like, not like that, but I think it's something we can look at and apply to our own lives that many times all we have to do is just stand firm and trust in him. Seek his face. Some of us wonder, Man, why am I so tired? Why am I burnt out? Nothing's going. I'm running around trying to cover all my bases, trying to make sure my kids don't kill each other, trying to get groceries, trying to keep groceries in the house, and, and I just don't know what to do. And many times, God says, stand firm and seek him. Yeah. We come in church, we're around prayer cards, like, God, uh, the doctor's report didn't come back good. Now, I don't know. I'm going to pay bills this week. And I just don't know, but, you know, I'm just going to wait here and, um, you know, God just, just show up. No, stand firm and seek his face. And we just wonder, and we go through this constant cycle of, God, why aren't you moving? Why don't I hear from you? Why, why, why does this situation look hopeless? And, and many times God's not asking you to go do something crazy. And, and may, sometimes just asking you to stand firm and seek his face. Be intentional about being close to him. Be intentional about trusting him. Believe that he is the God who he says he is and that he is good and that no matter what the situation is, he's going to come through. In this moment, when Jehoshaphat calls the nation to prayer and fasting and when he declares this prayer and saying, God, I don't know what to do, but I trust in you. See, God, God delivers an answer through, through a, a prophet and he speaks to serve them saying, the victory is yours. Do not fear. God is going to move. And you see from this moment on as we read things, the mindsets begin to change a little bit. You see, they are already trusted in God, but right now they have a promise. And you see, as we continue to read, we'll jump down to verse 18. It said, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. You see, the moment I see a leader, and you know, just talk about Pastor Chad, every morning, uh, last week we spent every morning praying over the church. And you know, every morning I walk in, and many of y'all know this on Sundays, but he'll be here from 5 o'clock in the morning, knees on the ground, head bowed to the ground praying. You see, right here, Jehoshaphat mo uh, models what a godly leader is. That's why I let everybody know in this church that the godly leader that you read about here, the same qualities apply to the godly leader we follow in this church. And this not just for this man, but I think we can apply this to our families. We want to see change. We need a bunch of godly leaders who are willing to find themselves on their knees, on their face in prayer, in humility before God, believing, God, I trust in you. God, God, God I, I will, I'll do anything for you because there's nothing I, I can, man, I can put all the right systems in. You know, I can do everything right and, you know, I can try to do right. But until I find that self in a posture of praise and a posture of humility on my knees before the almighty God saying, God, there's nothing else to do. God, I trust you. This is yours. God, you, you have given this to me. And as Jehoshaphat, he's been given the promise. But what is his first response to a promise? It's not action. It's praise. It's thanksgiving to God. And as we continue to read, it says, about his face to the ground, all of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. What they mean? They went to worshiping. They didn't go, to, they didn't go oh, yeah, we're, the, the battle's ours. The guy said it. We don't got to do anything, guys. Let's head home for the day. The people are just going to drop dead. No, what they do? They worshiped. See, they were worshiping before God's goodness. And then once God revealed his goodness to them, what do they do? Let's worship some more. Let's praise him. Because we even have more so of a cause to worship him because he's good. Let's keep reading. It says, We fell down for the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and the Levites, and the Kathites, and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. 
Oh, so I have a feeling after service, I'm just probably get really loud for the altar song. Very loud voice. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> and then verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. That's pretty interesting. You think in battle, the last people I'm going to send out is the people singing and dancing. That's like going to a football team and sending out the choir first. Like, that's nuts. Like, I know what all the, the guys with the swords are thinking. They're looking like, oh, Josh, I hope you know what you're doing because these boys singing, they're going to get their heads cut off. It, it does sound pretty, but it ain't going to work well. But what does he do? He, he designates people and say, you're going to lead the army. We're going to lead and worship. And, and as I read in this next part here, what, what the worshipers, what they were singing and, and what he commanded them to say, it says, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. What a battle cry. Imagine if you got up out of bed every morning with that written over your wall. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. They weren't going to this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is strong and he wipes out people. No, 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 no. They said, you know, your mercies, your goodness, your grace, it lasts forever. That's where our confidence is. Our confidence is not in our own abilities. Right here, it reveals to us that they, they, all the people were well knowledgeable of what God had brought these people through. You know, they had been through years of different leaders of, of their ancestors, of Abraham, of Moses, but they weren't confident in that. They were just confident in the constant goodness and trust in God. They're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And that seems kind of like a crazy battle cry. That's probably not something I would naturally imagine sending out my armies with. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. You know, you don't think about love and battle in the same sentence. But you see, it's not a proclamation of just love. It's a whole nation believing and a whole nation fully trusting. They're walking into a battle just basically walking into a loss. But no, what they have is a promise from a prophet because they sought the Lord, they believed in his goodness, they praised him, and they're entering a battle knowing they have no chance at winning, but all they're doing is praising. You know, what, what if we spent every day of our lives waking up, we're like, man, I got a, this job. I don't, even know, I don't even know if I'll have the job by the end of the day. But you know what? Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Just because you had a, a bad day or a bad week or, you know, life isn't, doesn't change that God's still, God's still good. If we're going to believe better days ever ahead, if we're truly going to dive all in as a church and truly seek better days, we have to believe that we serve a good God. We start the praise now before the battles, before the trials even start. Because different trials and battles that we face don't dictate the goodness of God. He's still good and he's always good. And I love this, and this is something I mean, and just give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And that just blew my mind that, man, as a battle cry, God, your steadfast love endures forever. Anytime something's not, God, your steadfast love endures forever. And I think as a church, as we begin to proclaim that over our lives, over our families, we begin to have a different perspective on the way we look at life. God, your steadfast love endures forever. Amen? That's good. And as 
they enter in battle. We, we will finish the, at the end of the passage. It wraps up. Uh, they go into battle, and the nations surrounding them, they destroy themselves. They just stand there and, and basically watch. And what do they do again? They begin praising. These are some praising people. You know what really be dangerous? A destiny church full of praising people. You, you want to see a community that's changed? You want, you want people to, and people are like, well, check out Destiny Church. Well, we may not get everything right, but we will praise. Because we know if anything's consistent and if anything's good, I know the world's crazy, politics are crazy, but I know my God's good. And every day I walk into that building, I got a reason to praise. Come on, church. What, who believes that a Destiny Church with a body of people that are willing to praise God. I believe the Republic area will look a little bit different. I believe the Springfield area will look a bit different. You want to change the world? You want to change community? Just start praising the God who has the power to change the community. Amen? Today, I three little practical things for us to look at as, you know, kind of wrap up to send you home with. Uh, we're looking at three things here. And first one is praise is always an appropriate first response. No matter what situation, no matter what the day looks like, no matter if you're waking up to a vacation or you're waking up to an early work day, praise is always an appropriate first response. It's not just the appropriate first response when times are tough. It's the appropriate response when you get up in the morning. You get up in the bed and you're like, whew, man, I'm sore. I just tried to start working out yesterday. But hey, God, you're good. And you know, like some mornings, they're harder to get up than others. But you know what? God's still good. You see, praise is always that appropriate first response. And I think for many of us, we only apply, apply praise and we only apply goodness after the battle's won. And I think Jehoshaphat shows us more than anybody that praise begins before the battle and then it continues through the battle and then after the battle. Because just because trials and battles came, that didn't change who God was. God was constant through it all. And many of us, even in the doubt, even the seasons, you're like, well, God didn't come through. I believe God always comes through. You're like, what do you mean? It may not have come through the way you thought, but God's sovereign. He's still working. He's still good. So just because it doesn't look like the way we thought, just because we didn't get a prominent answer, and just because we don't feel like we have a promise to charge in the battle to, doesn't change who God is. He still loves us. He's still going to take care of us. So stop letting our expectations, our minds, and what, and what we think should happen dictate how our praise is. Our praise is dictated upon God and who he is, not how we feel on a certain day. Amen? Amen. Let's look at number two. It says, a life of gratitude cultivates a life of praise. When you're appreciative for the things around you, for the people around you, for what God's doing around when you keep a constant awe of what God's doing around you, it's a whole lot easier to give him praise. And when every Sunday coming to church, you're like, oh, man, that was an all right message. And maybe Pastor next week will probably touch on that. My, my wife needs to hear it or, you know, he's not quite giving in what I'm getting. But when you, when you express gratitude, when you, believe, when you begin to appreciate people around you, when even in the situations are tough, you keep that joyful spirit because you know God's good. When you keep that joy and it kind of goes back to the thing like, well, I'm a pessimist. No, you're not a realist. People just don't want to be around you because you know what they're going to do when they come talk to you? Hey, I got this coming up this week. Oh, good luck, bud. God, I aren't you. You know what I'm saying? 
No, as a church, we want to be people filled with gratitude, people filled with joy, people filled with praise, that people want to come into our church not to hear what the world looks like, but we know what the world is going to be. We know we have hope for them. We have this living hope because we serve a God who is good. We have this faith and we have praise because of our God. Keep an attitude of gratitude. That rhymed. That was pretty cool. No, I was kidding. But no, gratitude cultivates a life of praise. And it's a whole lot easier to be to have gratitude when you live a life of praise. And you know, many times you're like, well, I'm not a fake person. I can't praise when it's hard. Yeah, times may be hard, but God's still good. And you're not fake for doing that. It's just called denying the flesh. For what for what the enemy's trying to tell you, hey, you know, you can't praise through this. You can't fight this. You know, I think back a the story of uh, Paul and, and Silas, they're in, they're in prison. Guys are chained up to a wall. They're, I mean, they're wrongfully in prison. They're just preaching the gospel. But what are the, what's their response? They begin to praise and worship. They begin to pray. And sure enough, what? The walls of the prison come down. They're free. They're gone. And what do they do? They go to the jailer and what? They baptize him and his family that night. What does that do? It shows that the power of your praise, and we see it many times throughout the Bible, the power of praise, the power of shouting, the power it has. And not only does that power of praise and that power of gratitude, it, it tears down walls, but it changes those around you. People can't help but be the same when they see, man, why is that person so happy? Some, you may be annoying for always being happy, but I guarantee you when times are tough, they'll definitely come back to you because they need joy. And you know, that joy, and you're like, well, where do you get joy from? You're like, you just had a terrible week. God's good. Well, 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 did you not just hear what the doctor called you and told you? Why are you happy? Oh, God's good. You know, like, because in some of us, reality, it's like, you know, I'd rather be in heaven sometimes right now. Third point, and uh, J.C. Copeland keys, but there is power in praise, but the power is found in the one we give praise. I think a lot of times in our mindsets, we can come in and we think, man, if I praise, things have to change. But we, for, we forget that the power in us is given by the one who is living in us. And people will ask, man, well, man when, when y'all praise, when y'all begin to get excited about the things of God and y'all begin to rejoice, things start to look different. Like, what did y'all do? Well, we didn't do anything. We just trusted in the God who is good, who has always shown himself good. We have reasons right here to praise. We've seen it. We read about it. We know about it. We experience a God of goodness. We have every reason to praise. We wake up this morning. We, 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 the, we breathe. We have a reason to praise. And for a moment to think that by any of our doing or any of by our work, that stuff gets done is foolish. Because as Jehoshaphat showed, he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you because he knew that their deliverance, their power was coming through the God that they served. Even before there was a promise, even before there was a victory, there was praise. Come on, church, I challenge you today. I know life's hard in the world we live in. It doesn't get easier by the day. But I truly believe that Destiny Church and Republic will look a lot different if we begin to take that posture of praise, we find ourselves on our knees with our face on the ground, humbling ourselves before God 
because we know in those moments where, man, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but God, God, you're good. And you know, just as Jehoshaphat shows us in his leadership, I think many of us today can change the way, uh, lead our businesses, lead our homes, even lead our spouses, or even lead ourselves. You know, an attitude of gratitude changes a lot, not only yourself, but the people around you. When you keep a constant all of what God's doing, it's a lot easier to come in church excited because like, man, what, what, God, what are you going to do today? What new are you going to do? Man, I don't care what songs they sing. I don't even like that song. But you know what? As long as we're singing about you, I'm okay with it because you're good. Amen? Well, let's stand together and we'll pray.